been a star of their season tonight. He showed the world what he could do. My God, a question. An extra gear for the freshman. Touchdown. And the freshman is off. Foot race. <laughs> They're looking at shoe bottoms and nothing else. Into the end zone. Touchdown. The freshman just ran it back to Philadelphia. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Future Freshman Podcast. Welcome to episode 30. It is the season ending. Uh, it's not the premiere, it's the finale. That's right. That's what I was looking for, Ethan. The series fin- or season finale of season two of the Future Freshman Podcast. Of course, I just said his name, but I'm bringing on Mr. Ethan Sowers. You can find him at x slash Twitter at Ethan Sowers. Ethan, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, thanks, man. I am uh, honored to be on here for the uh, the season finale. Hopefully, we, we get a nice cliffhanger for, for all the all the viewers here for us. Yeah, with all the stuff to come in the season as well. But it's uh, it's long overdue. I've been trying to get Ethan on this one. He, of course, you probably know our pairing from uh, the Ben on C2C podcast and during the season where we talk a lot of DFS. And that's kind of what brings Ethan to the, uh, to the show tonight because we want to focus a little bit more on the freshman perspective in DFS play, whether that is DraftKings or FanDuel, anything like that. That's kind of what we're looking to do. So, of course, we're covering the 2023 DFS edition here uh, for the Future Freshman Podcast. So, um, before we start, Ethan, let's do a little housekeeping. We can find all of our articles over at campusdecant.com. Tools and guides, of course, the CFF guide is still there. We're in the thick of it. Uh, a lot of redraft going on, a lot of redraft finally. So, the CFF guide is wide open. You can read in the guide. Me and Ethan both uh, did a lot of, whether it's players and teams, so you can definitely check those out as well. Only $20, or if you have that NIL membership, it's already should be in your email, so make sure you go check that out as well. Um, we just had a brand new membership. Of course, we have our friend Nicholas Ian Allen joining us from CFB Winning Edge. So now you can get the C2C Winning Edge, where he helps you do projections for those of one-point PPR or half-point PPR. But what I love the most and what me and Ethan enjoy is that the depth of the rosters, whether that's an offense or defense as well. So we can kind of make our minds up, which is very helpful in DFS, knowing one, the players, and two, it comes in handy when you're trying to get different when it comes to playing other uh, competitors in the DFS space. So definitely go check that out over at campusdecant.com. And I got the right man for the show, because other than Mr. Chris K, who I talked about his Michigan collection, you, Mr. Ethan, have an incredible collection, I believe, over at Homefield. Um, of course, our promo code is campus the number two, Canton, but 15% off. Ethan, how many emails or how many have on your own account have you spent with your mystery boxes so far <laughs> at Homefield? Man, those mystery boxes, that's how they get you. Like, I, mm. I They don't make a bad shirt, so the mystery box is just the perfect way to uh, get a nice sale price and have something fun to look forward to in the mail in a few weeks <laughs> on a scale of one to 10 how many would you say is your collection of just penn state alone or has your cfp collection oh, grown since the mystery box uh it's grown with the mystery boxes i think i've got probably six or seven shirts and then two wow. or three hoodies and sweatshirts so they go. uh they're they're a mainstay in my wardrobe for sure there you go and they're all comfortable regardless of what that you're wearing so be in oh, comfort enjoy the benefits of watching a game and or if you're going to that one be different a lot of people might have a lot of the same shirt and apparel stuff like that just stand out when you're at the stadium if you're going to go catch your favorite team so go do that go check out home for apparel like i said the promo code campus number two canton so check that out 
And finally, uh, Ethan Price Picks has been busy, been dropping a whole lot of new props here for the CFB and in the NFL. Um, but we can match your deposit up to $100 with the promo code C2C. Um, there's a lot of ones that our buddy Moxley has been dropping there in the NIL betting. So if you're an NIL member, he's dropping a little bit, which you can hop on as well. He's also using that C2C metric or that C2C winning edge metric that he's using that uh, over that Nick has done with his projections. So by doing that, you get a little bit of edge up. You can do it before they change it on you because me and Ethan know from experience they will change it on you, especially after they drop it, usually Tuesdays or even Wednesdays sometimes. So definitely go check out that promo code. Um, but we wanted to focus more on the DFS side of things, whether you're playing on DraftKings, maybe you're still playing on FanDuel as well, which is good. It's always good to double up sometimes. But we find that um, DFS is its own world. And Ethan, we talked about on the bet on C2C, but I don't know that all of our listeners on this podcast has crossed over to that. So this kind of will be an episode where that opens their eyes a little bit. So before we talk about players, let's just talk about DFS in general. What's your favorite part yeah. about CFB, say, when uh, when it comes to DFS versus something like the NFL? What do you find to be the, the the best part about CFB, would you say, about DFS playing versus NFL? Man, so I have said multiple times, I think CFB, DFS, it's a lot of letters, and College Football Daily Fantasy is the premier top S-tier upper echelon way to play fantasy football because – for one, I mean, there's just so much to pay attention to. You've usually got, you know, a 13 or a 14 game slate that uh, on on those main Saturdays that you're looking at, and so you just got so much going on. You got higher scoring games. You have players who are easily throwing for 400, 500 yards a game. Um, you've got that super flex position, and you don't have to worry about playing the defense. That honestly, that change is something that I think they need to carry over as an option for the NFL because in the NFL it feels like when you're playing in those big tournaments if you don't have the right defense your whole day is sunk and I feel so much better pinning down who I think the top quarterbacks are going to be rather than the the top defense on a, any given slate so on one hand you've got these these higher scoring games but I feel like it reduces the variance a little bit because you're not relying on a defense that I mean, we all know that the defenses are the, the highest variable scoring position in fantasy. So um, it gives you a little bit more confidence and a little bit more control over your day. Um, but just in general, man, the college game is just, I think, the fun, the most fun to watch. And you've got the traditions, you've got, uh, you know, your, your homer picks and your biases. But playing that DFS, uh, sitting down to a sweat on a Saturday morning after game day uh, finishes off, uh, it's just the most fun experience. You know, it can be pretty tilting at times, but uh, it's it's got the best, the highest highs and the lowest lows for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like those mad dashes to uh, set lineups right before lock and noon uh, on a Saturday morning, or if you're just trying to get home from work before Maction starts up on a Tuesday night and try to drop in lineups. There's just nothing about it. And like you said, a lot of times in the NFL, you spend a lot of times just trying to find the best defense for value. You're hoping to find the matchup. So instead of, Spending all that time, you're almost looking for a better pairing, a better uh, one, two, three punch, usually with the, uh, with the whether it's a showdown or it's a slate and you're looking for what we call run back, which is having another uh, opponent from the different team on there. So you're stacking one game in particular. So that's kind of like what we want to do and stuff like that in particular. Now, I want to bring it up just because we brought it up in one of our episodes of the, the you know, the Bet on C2C podcast as well. But um, what do you like about, 
showdowns. So showdowns is something that it's a good way to get different. It's a good way to separate yourself from the pack. So we're already playing CFB. That is pretty popular there in DFS. Um, But showdowns, you know, people are still starting to just come around to that and stuff like that. But if we find, especially on a random Thursday night or Friday night where like San Jose State or something like that's playing, you, me, and Kay, we're talking, you know, whether it's the Slack channel and stuff like yeah. that. We're like, all right, who's wide receiver two, wide receiver three? But what is what is it about showdown where you can kind of separate yourself in the competition to, you know, to, to hit the money that we're kind of looking to do? Yeah, I mean, it's just – I feel like with any sort of college football fantasy, whether it's C2C or CFF, there is a little bit of this, you know, sicko mode, like I'm, I'm truly – you know, feral for being interested in, in the matchup that's going on or or digging as deep into the, the competition as I am. And showdowns really lean into that a whole bunch, especially when you're talking about, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday night, CUSA, Sunbelt, match and games. You're looking at, you know, a lot of times you're trying to find, hey, who's this wide receiver three that might play because this guy's injured or who's, right. you know, these guys who honestly like weren't highly recruited they're probably you know preferred walk-ons or guys who got scholarships that that you know had a few opportunities come through and you know it's their super bowl to be able to play you know these island games these primetime matchups um but being able to dig that deep and really you know do your own research and figure out what's going on you know, college football DFS is definitely getting more and more eyes upon it. And with those eyes, it's getting more uh, content. So, you know, we love to see that. We love to see these major players coming out and um, and, and pumping out content and, and getting more eyes on the sport and getting it more popular. But um, those showdown slates really lean into the – and they, they benefit the people who are willing to dig the most and find the most – um, information and you know, I, I know that you know Moxley's out there combing message boards on on Tuesday nights trying to figure out, hey, is is Jeff uh, Undercutler or, or, or whatever his name is the the Akron backup quarterback last year who was filling in for DJ Myers, right. you know, is he going to be uh, you know viable uh, for this showdown? So you've got two quarterbacks, so if one of them is out and you've got this minimum price backup who all of a sudden is thrust into the spotlight it makes sense and it it rewards those who are willing to dig in and and do the time to research and that's what i love about the showdowns too is because it it lets you learn the depth charts about the most obscure teams that you would probably never do it and also gives you skin in the game like you're talking about like understanding the wide receiver threes who's the qb2 for akron can they throw to alex adams and make sure that he's still prosperous or you know can you get him at a deal and maybe you fade alex adams and maybe the qb2 in camp that we read on the message boards is thrown to another wide receiver that we saw in fall camp or something like that you know all that fun obscure stuff that you have but another part is that it's like you're separating yourself almost twofold because a lot of people sometimes just don't mess with the showdown so like instead of competing against what 10,000 people on a a big slate sometimes it's like 5,000 or 3,000 or 1,000 you might get lucky and do like a 500 one or something like that still the odds to go to the top and take down a slate is a lot harder versus a showdown to where you can play on a Wednesday or Thursday night Um, and there was the one what was it Saturday instead of playing the main slate I played App State versus UNC and I just slammed 
Omer and Hampton may, but and then I played uh what's his name that was the Appalachian QB, and I just happened to hit on the right I you know wide receiver that one, and it was like uh you know there's no defense that game because both teams didn't really know how to play defense against each other, so you know I took down a slate one fifty bucks right it was a good it was a good week, yeah. but you know things like that where um it just becomes more fun and things like that. So all this to say, Ethan, is that we're just trying to you know, get people excited about having just skin in the game, but also maybe some of your favorite freshmen that are coming up. And that's what we want to discuss is what freshmen can we look forward to in DFS and maybe have an advantage versus maybe some that aren't. And we'll talk about one that we're going to fade, but we're going to talk about four that might be a benefit or a name at least to know as you're playing these matchups and stuff like that. So let's get it started. And you decided to go with Mr. Zachary Card. He's an on-three consensus 84.24, a three-star. He committed to Oregon State. Now, Ethan, you know, Oregon State's known for one one big boy, and his name is Damian Martinez, and he's an absolute stud. A freshman last year, running all over the place. Of course, we did get the good, uh, you can call it good news, you can call it interesting news, but DJU there, formerly of Clemson, is now the quarterback at Oregon State. But behind him is a uh, another freshman that we already talked about. We talked with Austin there as one of these possible breakout freshman, and that's Aiden Child. So in the fact that maybe if DJU doesn't pan out here, maybe he does. But if he doesn't, he's got some good quarterback competition there as well. What did you see about Zachary Card as far as what you saw about him? Did, is it the recruitment part? Is it the opportunity? What did you like about him? And what do you think about him in DFS this year? You know, you asked me to, to come up with a few guys here and, and, and think about some guys who uh, are freshmen, true freshmen that would be you know worthwhile or worth that squeeze. And in a daily fantasy setting. And so going right. through there, I mean, you know, you've got, you've got those big names, you've got guys, you know, like Dante Moore, who should have right. had some opportunity this year. You've got, you know, like Cedric Alexander and Vanderbilt, uh, mm-hmm. who's, you know, another guy who should see volume, but you know, those guys are, are playing at an elite level conference wise. And, and you're seeing um, there are programs where, you know, I don't think that the, opportunity alone is necessarily enough to rely on them. Um, and, you know, like I said earlier, there I take some pride in being able to pull some names that are a little bit deeper and, and a little bit off the radar for sure. Um, but Zachary Card is somebody who I really discovered going through some supplemental drafts in C2C this, this off season. Um, and he's a guy, he's a speedster uh, here at, at Oregon State who has been talked up by their OC, Brian Lindgren, um, as a guy who's really flashed uh, and, and had some big plays during some scrimmages. So um, he is a burner. And, you know, the two guys that Oregon State currently has are Anthony Gould and Silas Bolden. Um, I've seen some blurbs saying that, you know, one, uh, one or both of them have been a little banged up this fall uh, as they're getting into camp. So I feel like Zachary Card is a guy who, one, has really made an impression on the coaching staff early. He's got that unique skill set where he's a burner and he can explode for big plays, even with given a small volume. Um, and as a wide receiver three, you know, that's the kind of thing that you're looking for out of wide receiver threes are guys who can jump off the page and, and make that impact without necessarily getting the high volume. I remember, you know, a few years ago, Kadarius Tony at Florida um, was that kind of guy. He, he wasn't getting huge volume. But he was just so much more athletic than the guys who were he was on the field with, so much faster. Um, he that he yeah. really, yeah, he was he was gold in DFS because he wouldn't necessarily command the the high ownership because he would have 
you know, a lower volume and ownership tends to slant heavily based on guys who they think are getting a bigger volume um, because those guys are more insulated. They're safer. uh, They're safer players to put into your lineup. Um, But Zachary Card, he, so I've got this, I I wrote him up for an article on C2C uh, earlier this, this off season. And so I'm pulling this and he, so he was clocked with a 4.32 40 time um, coming in uh, this fall. Uh, or actually, that was in spring. And so being in spring camp and establish, establishing himself there, getting used to the, the program and the routine, I think that he's a guy who could definitely jump off the page. Um, ideally, he's somebody who I'm really looking looking at down the road, um, establishing rapport with Aiden Childs and being able to benefit from a, an elite level talent. You know, say what you will about DJU. I think he's he's going to have a better year this year. And I think he can, he can probably have it. a pretty decent season. Um, but he can definitely support some big plays for for wide receivers. So Zachary Card is somebody who I'm I'm absolutely in on uh, for these showdown type slates. Um, you're going to see Gould and Bolding get the lion's share of the uh, ownership, and you might be able to sneak Zachary Card in at you know sub ten percent, which is always a good thing and something that we're looking to uh, try and differentiate our lineups with. So while we're talking about ownership, sometimes, you know, people that are just getting a DFS may not understand the ownership. So explain to them just real quick, as far as like ownership and what that means in, a, in daily fantasy yeah. sports and what that means to us. So. For sure. So ownership is just referring to how many other lineups and how many of your, your competitors are going to have him in their lineups too. And so the game theory suggests that the lower somebody is owned, the, the less that they're, the fewer lineups that they're in of your competition, the more beneficial they are to you if they have a great game, because you are going to benefit and nobody else is going to benefit or much fewer people are going to benefit. If you've right. got a guy, you know, you've got one of those stud running backs or stud quarterbacks, especially in these showdown slates, you're going to see them, you know, 70, 80% owned. And when they go off, Hey, that's cool. Like, you need those raw points in your lineup, but everybody benefits from them. So it just places an even higher importance on finding guys who are going to kind of go under the radar, be a little bit less detected, who can really elevate your lineup and, and vault you into, uh, you know, hopefully first place and take down a tournament. Exactly. Yeah, it just sets you apart. It makes you, it just separates and becomes more and more likely of a chance of you hitting one, the money per se, but then when there's a big pot, especially if it's a very high end slate, that could be helpful. And in showdowns, when you have like even less opponents, if you become the more distinguished out of that one. So that's when you want to look for, gosh, if you get 15% or under, that's usually like usually a gold mine half the time. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's even better when you can hit like a five percenter and all of a sudden they go off. So, um, Man, this would be fantastic if you're doing like the old uh, rivalry, the Oregon, Oregon State uh, slate. You know, if you did a little showdown action here, a little Bo Nix on the top, you know, he's he's probably gonna be pretty expensive, right? So Zachary Card, I'm thinking like his first couple games, he'll probably be like what was not even like three thousand maybe or something like that as far as cost. And when we talk cost, we mean that there's certain values that they have on players um, that you have to have, and you have a certain amount of budget that you have to put into their lineups for those that are playing DFS for the first time this year with us. But um, Zachary Card being very low end and then you know being a guy that he only might pop off you know a few games this year and stuff like that it's just a matter of like do you play him in, you know in the, in the rivalry you know when there's games on the line where it's a lot of pride or you know maybe some obscure one i know the 
Pac-12, unfortunately, might not be the Pac-12 next year. So we have to kind of see where Oregon State will lie next year, right? But for now and this year, we're still going to see Oregon versus Oregon State, Oregon State versus, you know, pretty decent matchups coming up this year. So yeah. is that what you're seeing more showdown or um, is this even remotely an option as far as like the main slate or is it just because there's so much talent in the main slate, it's just it would be a little difficult for Carr to be in a lineup, right? Yeah, I mean, on a main slate, you will benefit from the fact that he'll he'll likely be a minimum price. He'll he'll likely be a three thousand right. dollar receiver, um, which does unlock some some things on your uh, in your roster build. Um, the main thing, and and I'll, it's going to be a recurring theme with the guys that, that we talk about today. Um, I tried to pick guys who I'm interested in on a week to week level, even without injury, but if there is an injury or an opportunity where they really have a chance to be, you know, higher volume plays, they could absolutely smash and they should be guys who are on your radar. And, you know, now that you know Zachary Card's name, if you hear that, you know, Gould or Bolden go down, you'll you'll want to perk up and say, hey, you know, uh, Zachary Card, I, I heard this name before. You're scrolling through the, the showdown slate and you see his name and, and hopefully you'll be a little bit more familiar with him now. Um, and 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 know that he he definitely is the kind of guy who has the talent to make something happen. And at three thousand dollars, you can be a little bit more confident. Like I know the name; he's definitely a wide receiver three. He might jump up to wide receiver two as well. Also, another thing uh, we're doing the C two a days, which is by uh, Nicholasina Allen and Matt Bruning. They're kind of doing that. So if you do hear Zachary Carr's name in the fall um, come up a little bit more, so just kind of give this a little circle or anything like that. We're not talking about, you know, season long or anything like that as far as like dynasty or anything like that, but Carr could probably be a name that you could definitely look at in dynasty purposes for sure. Especially, you know, if push comes to shove, you need a, a receiver for a flex or something like that, or he could just be a reserve for you. Um, And he wouldn't be one that I would, run headed over hills or drop all my hundred dollars of fab or anything crazy like that on right but he would definitely be one that you know i would definitely have on the watch list you know to kind of wait and see but from dfs that's a great thing is daily fantasy so you have a new lineup every single time and you kind of build it from scratch so he definitely could be one as well and just to pre yeah. the prefaces as well i also gave ethan the chance of like hey you can do power five you can do g5 i know those terminologies might not you know, they might be historic come next year. We might have P4, whatever we're going to be calling, whatever. We'll deal with that next year. But until then, I want him to have the full slate. So you might uh, actually see some names that you would benefit. And there's one in the next guy we're going to talk about. Well, actually, no, I mentioned his his friend, his other freshman friend, but we can talk about this guy, which we love us some UTSA, but this is David Amador. He's on three consensus, 84.28 on three. Has him as a three-star prospect. Uh, like I said, committed to the UTSA, the Roadrunners. He got a little love in the CFF guide, Ethan. I think uh, it was Jared that kind of brought him to the forefront. I, uh, When I was doing my research, I kind of favored more of the Jamel Hardy, but I feel like either or. I know Amador's getting a little bit more um, of the buzz there in the actual camps and stuff like that, but Hardy being the bigger recruit, you know, I thought maybe there might be something there, but it looks like UTSA, they're just kind of stock up on the receivers. So what is it about Amador that you liked? Um, was it the, the the buzz or was it the overall recruitment? What did you like about him in the, the spot here at UTSA? Yeah, he's he's definitely the furthest shot or the, the you know, uh, Felix always likes to talk about shooting from deep here at C2C. And, you know, I'm, I'm this is my my deep shot is David Amador. Um, nice shot. He, yeah, he went to a uh, 6A high school down here in Texas. And he made it to, you know, this, he made it to state. They uh, ended up losing the game in state. Um, but he was actually switched positions halfway through the year because of injury. 
And so he wasn't a receiver last year. He, he switched over to play quarterback and he, you know, carried his team to state. Um, he just seems like a very versatile, um, explosive, shifty football guy. Um, and, you know, those, those kind of guys are, are ones that always jump out to me because, you know, they have a great understanding of the game. They know how to do the things. Usually they're going to be guys who, who show up during film study who are dialed in and they're tuned in, they're usually, they're coach guys. They're guys who the coaches are going to really gravitate towards and want to want to get get some reps and get into the game. Um, he's He's got a lot of competition, but he's got a few things going for him at UTSA. Um, the main thing is, you know, we don't really know what's going on with the health of uh, DeCorian Clark. And, I, you know, even I'm, I'm pretty sure Cephas is going to be ready for, for week one. But, you know, DeCorian Clark's definitely a much cloudier outlook. Um, there are guys all through this roster who everybody wants to kind of take a shot on. Uh, this right. year, you've got, you know, Chris Carpenter, Tyke Ogle-Kellogg, Willie McCoy, the, a transfer name that has, uh, he, I believe, with a JUCO talent last year that, that is, mm-hmm. is now at UTSA. Um, and, you know, Oscar Cardenas, uh, the tight end, is there. Right. And even Dan Dishman, the backup tight end, he's... He's a big guy. He's like six nine or something crazy. He's a he's a great white red zone option. <laughs> but Am- Amador is going to be a guy who's who's really shifty, um, and I think that he could provide a spark and some explosive play, um, and something that you know is going to complement um, the bigger body. You know, they have they have Cardenas, they have Dishman as as uh, red zone options, um, but I think he's going to be a guy who you know might catch ball with low a dot. Um, and really just show his 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 uh, talent in the open field. Um, he, like I said, I mean he's he's a, a deep name for sure. But he was one of the the finalists for Mister High School Football in Texas last year, alongside Ruben Owens. Um, and so uh, he's nice feet, man. he's got the pedigree. Yeah, for sure, mm-hmm. he's got the pedigree. He is, um, you know, only being a three star, it, it's easy to get lost in the shuffle, but. I'm just really excited about the program that UTSA is building down there. Um, and Amador is a guy who I am absolutely w- willing to take a, a risk on, especially, you know, we're looking at, at showdown slates. We're thinking, you know, if we don't know who is necessarily going to uh, be healthy every, any given week and we're looking at UTSA, all, it, all it's really going to take is one or two injuries. And Amador is going to be a guy who will get a shot, whether or not he makes anything of it his freshman year. Who's to say? Um, but he's a guy who I will certainly be um, keeping my eyes peeled for any opportunity that he's giving during the year. Yeah, everyone should keep tabs on the uh, the fall reports and stuff like that. But his name has been mentioned you know, multiple times already there at UTSA that they're really high on the coaching staff is kind of high on as well. Um, like I said, it just takes one injury or it could just be, like you said, a showdown where you just want to get different. Maybe there's, you know, a lagging injury or maybe, you know, someone is declining, whether Clark's maybe not popping off just yet, or maybe, you know, Cephas just kind of struggling in the first couple couple games. Maybe Amador is the, the one in between the hashes where he can just kind of be a reception monster there and then have Cardenas or the tight end as another spot you can throw in the showdown and, you know, save some money. Right. And you know, what would, yeah, I mean, this is just the dream scenario that we all we we never want any player to be injured. We never want any player no, to not, not be able to live up to their to their their full potential. Hypothetically, though, this is a guy who played quarterback last year at six A. I was going to bring it up. 
<laughs> I was going to bring it up. Yep. Frank Harris has, has a history of, of injury. Uh, I mean, I, I know that there are, uh, you know, some, some believers in Eddie Lee Marburger, but, uh, yeah. you know, who's to say they don't throw him out there. And if they get, you know, we, we saw Baylor a few years ago with, with Gary Bohannon before he was actually a quarterback quarterback. Uh, and I mean, it's arguable whether he's a true quarterback these days true now as well, but you know, if they, if they do get into those emergency quarterback situations, Amador is a, a guy who I, I'm just very excited about his potential as a football player. Yeah. Amador reminds me, we talked about this last week with Justin Heisey, but maybe he should just be called football player or, um, you know, he should just be called athlete basically. Cause he could play multiple positions kind of reminds us of the guys like juice Farine or a Bryson Nesbitt that can play essentially tight end by name, but could play wide receiver, yeah. probably play running back if you really wanted them to and stuff like that. They're just know how to play football. So Amador could probably be adjusted depending on whatever UTSA needs, especially if the depth chart becomes a little bit thin at that position. But, uh, for sure. you know, we're, we're talking about DFS, so he definitely would be, and I'm pretty sure he'd also be like $3,000 to start. I doubt he oh, would yeah. be anything than that if anyone actually knows amador more than just the c2c or cff community then that'd be ridiculous if somehow someone already knew about him before we did or something like that I'd right be, i'd be shocked if he is ever above minimum salary during the year even in showdowns i think that he yeah. is very far under the radar um but if i'm if i'm hard up for for money in my showdown build and i want to jam mm-hmm. in harris and you know cephas and clark and I don't have money to, to to spend elsewhere. You know, I'm absolutely okay taking a a minimum salary flyer on on a guy like Amador. Yeah, you definitely take Amador and, and maybe save money there versus getting a Cardenas and try to stack the the three or four peep basically that we like to do. And that would probably leave you a little bit yeah. more money for a run back, especially if UTSA takes on an opponent that also likes to throw. So we always are all yep. for those matchups for sure. So um, they got a little bit more competition. I think they did move what to the AAC uh, like for this year, right? So they're playing some good, some decent teams. So a little bit step up in the G5 competition. But that also leads for fresh new matchups, which uh, also means some people will avoid because they're not used to seeing UTSA against certain teams. So they might not realize but you know here at c you know with our c2c and understanding cff stuff like that we almost could see what we call bonanza where it's like you know all teams are just throwing not any defense going on and then you have an app state unc situation happen and then all all bombs over baghdad basically so then it all happens basically so <laughs> so yeah that's kind and, of what we're you know for. The, yeah and the american conference this year isn't going to be the american conference of war old right. you know with yes, with houston on. ucf and uh, you know, all them going over to the Big 12. Um, there's definitely, I, I, I don't think that there is a, uh, a borderline power six anymore. I think it's, the American Conference is definitely a step below. And, you know, I don't think UTSA is going to have a major, a major step up in competition. That being said, you know, Will Stein leaving, that, that hurts. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see what that offense looks like uh, moving forward. And I, I, I hope that, you know, Frank Harris is healthy and able to put together a nice year for, for his last year. Yeah, we would like to see maximum version of UTSA this year and not a, uh, you know, hodgepodge version of that. Hopefully we get them for the majority of the year. But let's talk about, uh, you know, stiff competition. 
Let's talk about uh, a guy that was a big fish small pond that made the appearance. Of course, he's also in the CFF guide under the, the freshman 50 as well. That's Mr. Von Blue uh, on three consensus, 86.15, three star, of course, heading to Liberty. Uh, we talked about Vaughn in a previous episode. Uh, opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. He was Chadwick's boy. He he came and got him personally, which I thought was very impressive. And we've seen what Chadwick's been able to do um, over through uh, Coastal, and now he's kind of bringing that type of process over to Liberty. So a lot of people are focused on the running back. There's also a tight end there that people are getting intrigued by. There might be also the return of the C.J. Daniels, who was a dominant wide receiver but went down freshman year with injury. But this is where people, you know, that are that aren't paying attention to G5 will not see the opportunity like we do, where Von Blue is a day one starter and a guy that you can actually play in season long uh, CFF. And I would, have, you know, honestly, I'd recommend it to people. But he's a guy that you can play in a flex real easy. So that means uh, for uh, CFF purpose or for DFS purposes, that's a that's a gold mine, Ethan. What'd you like about Von Blue? Was it uh, the opportunity? Was it uh, what you saw in film or all the above? I really think going to Liberty and and being with Shadwell and being in that offense. Um, I think that there is a great opportunity uh, for his skill set to be utilized early. Um, we know Liberty is is in a very, very soft conference and they they yep. have really put the resources um, monetarily into that program to be able to outgun and outman any competition that they're going to face in conference with the exception of, you know, Western Kentucky. Um, that yeah. being said, yeah, that being said, um, you know, Von Blue is coming in. He's going to have some competition. I think Quentin Cooley out of uh, Wake Forest um, is going yeah. to be his biggest competition. Um, Chadwell is no stranger to using multiple backs. Um, they run a um, – you know, an offense that's going to have a uh, hybrid slot back, the A back in Chadwell's offense um, is usually the guy who is offset in the backfield, um, who they can motion out to the slot, who they can, they can, they use a lot of motion with these backs. Um, and what that does is that, that allows for them to get the ball in space to their, their shifty bats um, in such a great way. Um, when I when I, I look at Blue, I I also wrote him up a little bit earlier um, in the offseason about uh, you know being a deep stash for running backs in C to C leagues and CFF dynasty, um, and to give kind of the perspective and the the optimal scenario um, that we're hoping for with Blue, uh, we can look at CJ Marable's season back in 2020. Uh, that's kind of the high watermark for running backs in this Chadwell offense who are in that A-back role. Now, Marable was a little bit unique because he he did have a little bit more size. Um, so he could play both the A-back and the B-back in that offense. Yeah. And so they, they utilized him in that way. Um, but he gained 887 yards on 169 carries and then did 31 receptions for 228 yards with a total of 19 touchdowns that year. Um, so, I mean, he tore it up. And yeah. and that was that was Coastal's big, big year. You know, Coastal really shined uh, with that. But knowing that we've got Jamie Chadwell coming into this offense and he's not afraid to utilize backs um, in the receiving game, um, in the passing game, to be able to get them the ball and get his, his studs the ball any way they can, 
it just bodes well for a guy who was hand selected and hand picked by Chadwell to come over. Um, I believe he was originally committed to Charlotte. Um, and then when Chadwell shifted over to Liberty was when he was able to pull him over. Um, mm. So it's, it, it's exciting to Liberty. I, I don't see any reason not to be in on blue. Um, you know, with the two back system at Liberty, I see no reason not to be bullish on him for DFS for the first year, because even though Cooley is the guy who seems pretty well established as the guy they're going to lean on. I mean, we were talking about CJ Beasley, Braden Bennett, Reese White, and yep. other guys at, at, at Coastal last year. So um, he also doesn't have the benefit of leaning on Grayson McCall this year. So I think mm-hmm. Chadwell is, we're, everybody's talking about the fact that we're going to learn, you know, you know, was it Chadwell? Was it, was it Grayson McCall? Who was the secret sauce at Coastal? Um, but I, I, I really think that there's motivation for Chadwell to lean on his most talented and his most, most athletic players. And Von Blue, I mean, he fits that bill for sure. Yeah, and I've been very bold about telling people that Liberty is probably destined for the Conference USA Championship unless, unless something falls off the rails to go against Western Kentucky. I think they're the, their steepest competition. And I also want to bring up, like like you're saying, like Cooley could just be the smokescreen. Like he might be the one that's higher priced in the showdown because they see him or deem him as RB1 when you could take someone like Von Blue that's almost been in a CFL-like slot back where he just kind of catches out the backfield. And PPR is king in this format because it's still a PPR system as far as how DFS is played both in FanDuel and DraftKings. So this is where, uh, you know, the the strategy comes in play where taking the RB2, who's almost just as active as an RB1 in Chadwell system, is going to win you probably some some showdown slates or at least put you different and kind of keep you in that 15 percentile versus maybe 30 plus when people are grabbing Cooley because they might remember you know, Cooley from Wake Forest or playing an ACC showdown or something like that. So I, I, I definitely see the the point of view as well. And I think uh, Liberty's still going to try to have to, they're going to have to identify who their, who their stud is. I mean, they're going to be, you know, there's, we're going to have to find out who's the wide receiver one still and who's wide receiver two as far as dominant. But, you know, until then, Von Blue could definitely be their safety blanket as far as out of the backfield, especially for guys like Slater and the other guys that are competing, which, at this point, I think the competition's still ongoing, but from what I'm hearing, Slater's kind of edging it out there. But Slater hasn't gained the most confidence of us. So, but uh, say if you have to pay up for him because he is the starting quarterback in that showdown, uh, Von Blue might be a nice, a nice uh, value play there for sure as well, man. Anything else on Von Blue before we move on, man? Yeah, I mean, you may, you bring up a really great point with PPR and um, you know leaning into those pass catching backs. Another thing that, you know, kind of differentiates DFS from uh, CFF and and C2C and Dynasty in general is just the fact that you can lean into variance and you don't have to be so reliant on volume. Um, It makes guys like Von Blue uh, very exciting because they have the ability to take it to the house every single play. Um, his, His electricity in CUSA is going to be a mismatch. Um, how much of a mismatch it is while he's, you know, still a freshman and, and not necessarily uh, in, a, you know, D1 athletic shape just yet um, will still remain to be seen. But I mean, like, like we said this whole time, like his skill set is something that is very attractive 
um, and particularly in DFS when, you know, one or two big plays can be the difference in, you know, not cashing in a showdown slate and taking it home. So. Yeah, I didn't even think of it like that. So you're, you're right. Definitely he could just take to the house like twice and then immediately you move up in the top like 5% of the people that you're playing against. And now you're in the money yep. and you can kind of just sit back and just let the rest of the game unfold if he takes to the house at least twice or just give you like 90 you know yards and a touchdown off of like one play coming out of like the one or two yard line and then you're done for the day, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if, if Salter does end up getting that job and he is – the more mobile option, you know, outside of Bennett. Um, it does give you a little bit of pause for the dive back in that offense and the guy who's going to be taking, uh, you know, the the up the middle carries, the between the tackle carries. Um, Salter may be the guy who ends up, you know, vulturing a lot of those touchdowns uh, with his legs. Um, and if that's the case, you're going to look for guys to pair with him who have the ability to score from further out because this, the touchdowns that come when they're close and in the red zone are, you know, being vultured and, and you're just hoping for, you know, Salter to get a three rushing touchdown game and him throw for two that end up going, maybe one goes to blue. So it's, it's all, you know, just, just theory and, and what your DFS philosophy is. Um, but I, I love going with the receiving back, especially when there's a mobile quarterback. I do find it to be um, a more confident than trying to find, the wide receiver of your choice basically are hoping you land on the white wide receiver there at Liberty, at least for the first like few yep. games that, that you're done in a showdown. So what we're getting is Von Blue uh, one at value is fantastic Two, he serves, he serves a specific purpose in this offense. He was looked at by Chadwell and personally recruited by him. So definitely this just all factors into where he's going to get probably significant playing time, regardless if he's pairing with Cooley or not, but uh Go go remember Von Blue. Like I said, he's he's definitely a steal. I don't see him going past three thousand at least for like the first four games, just because the especially DraftKings they just don't realize it <laughs> half the time until yeah, it's like half the season. And yeah, and they're yeah. like, this dude been in the you know the the flames have been on the DFS on their thing on there. He's been dropping twenty something points the past five weeks, and they still got him at three thousand. So then uh, you'll just keep hearing us multiple weeks at a time, like keep smashing Von Blue, keep going for Von Blue until they move his price up, basically. So keep looking for Von Blue. Let's talk about another big fish small pond that I brought up as well. And this was in the episode with Mr. Eric Froton. But we talked about Arnold Barnes. He's an on three consensus, 85.47. Three star, and he's committing to Tulane. Um, a direct, I mean, a lot of people love some Ashad Clayton. So, I mean, yeah, I, I like Shady Clayton too. But what I brought up to Froton is that Ethan Mann, already Barnes is getting a lot of love as far as in camp. And he's showing out quite a bit. And this guy is an absolute stud for those that are watching YouTube. The dude's a brick house. He's 5'9", but he's over 212. And I heard he was up to like 220 or something. He's just a big bowling ball that you can't bring down. And he's just one of those guys that likes to hit you in the face. And he just likes to keep on trucking. So, this isn't this is a because I kind of I'm starting to see your point of view already when you brought up the name. I was like, Arnold Barnes could easily be put as the RB2, and he might actually produce almost, if not the same, but actually more than a shot Clayton in a game. And especially with Tulane, this would be a great pairing with uh, Michael Pratt, for example. So, is that what you kind of saw with Barnes when you're taking a look? Yeah, for sure. So, I, I mean, this this could easily be said about uh, you know, Jamie Chadwell's system too, but um. In the college football space, I think that being so Debbie heavy in how we evaluate prospects and how we evaluate players and systems and coaches, there has 
kind of gotten a bad reputation for offenses that get labeled gimmicky. Um, Jamie Chadwell runs a specific scheme that can easily be classified as gimmicky. It's why people don't believe the um, efficiency metrics that um, Grayson McCall has put up so far. Um, because, you know, from a scheme-wise, he's not going to be able to run that against better athletes in the NFL and things like that. Um, so we've made this this gimmicky concept. We've made that a bad word and have, have a negative connotation. But in DFS and in fantasy football in general, we should embrace that gimmicky aspect because when I hear gimmicky, I just think of a coach who puts his skilled his skilled players in the best position to win the game and make big plays. Um, and so Willie Fritz fits the mold with a gimmicky head coach, I believe as well. Um, they run a lot of inside zone read um, and, and run kind of like this, this gap scheme uh, with their, their running game. Uh, and a lot of people kind of knock Tajay Spears coming out into the draft because, hey, you know, Tulane's running this specific scheme they really fed him high volume. Is he going to be able to put that up? And everything I've heard from camp is he's tearing it up for the the Titans, and he's he's really making he's got the RB two so, already. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and so knowing that and and seeing that, I mean, we it does give us a little bit of you know we want to check our expectations because we see hey, Tajay Spears might actually be a, a a dude, a certified dude in in the NFL. So he very likely was able to dictate more volume than any other Tulane running back is going to be able to dictate in the next year or so. That being said, Shoddy Clayton Johnson or Ashad Clayton, uh, he he's a skilled guy. He's a talented prospect coming in, but I don't think that he is going to have a um, a workhorse role guaranteed in this offense. You know, the fact that we're even mentioning guys like Iverson Celestine, Arnold Barnes. Um, I, they have another uh, Liberty. Is it Shedra Lewis that they have too? Who, uh, who transferred and then Liberty? Lane's even got Cornish as like a RB3 option and stuff yeah. like that too, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, they've got, they've got a lot of bodies in that backfield. But the thing that has really jumped out at me for Arnold Barnes, and you, you touched on it, it's the combination of size and speed. So he's actually, he's 5'10", 225. Um, and he had an 11.2 second 100 meter dash time. Uh, like this dude, he's, he's an explosive back who has the durability. He's got the build, uh, a durable build to be able to, to take a, a higher workload. Um, For sure. To where if he's, if he's starting to flash, um, that's something that the staff is going to be able to lean on and be able to, they know that out of the gate, he's a guy who they can give some some additional volume to because he's he's got the uh, the physicality to be able to, to play that way. Um, so he's he's turned some heads, and you know Fritz has has already mentioned that he's a guy who's competing for touches from day one. Um, and so I think that's something that when we look at our our G five schools or you know G six or however many we're going to have moving forward. We should always be aware that highly, highly recruited and highly talented freshmen that come in are in the mix from day one, and they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be labeled as uh, players for the future when they come in with with buzz. 
Um, and I think that's what, you know, I love about, you know, the, the future freshman podcast is we get those G5 players who are guys who are relevant from the second they step onto campus because they're either in the mix for a starting job or they're a play away from being, you know, thrust into the spotlight. Um, and it's it's important to to take note of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, again, Barnes, so he, he put up 1,700 yards and 22 touchdowns at Booker T. Washington last year. He's a homegrown talent. He's from New Orleans. He's a guy that I think, you know, in blowouts, Willie Fritz is going to put in the game, especially when they're at home, when he gets to show out in front of his his city. Uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of juice that comes with that, too, about having a, a homegrown guy who stayed home, went to a smaller school, and, you know, he's 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 got the accolades, he's got the talent to really, really make a difference from day one. So I love Barnes. He's a, uh, you know, once we see how this, this depth chart plays out a little bit we're gonna we're gonna have a a great understanding of you know how deep we want to get with our our showdown plays for Tulane um but out the gate I am not going to be afraid even if it says you know he's RB3 behind say Celestine and uh Shadi Clinton Johnson I'm probably going to have him in a few lineups if there's a an early Tulane showdown slate because I think that they're going to be splitting, you know, if if not a, a very even one-third, one-third, one-third with the running backs, I think that he's going to get a chance to shine. And, you know, he's hungry, dude. Everything that I've seen, uh, the buzz at camp, is that he's a guy who's working his tail off to have a chance to make a difference. Yeah, I don't know about you, Ethan, but, like, I love the eye test. And the eye test tells me that Arnold Barnes is, like, he's, like, almost NFL – you know what I'm saying? Like he has a projection though, or he could easily be in the NFL just because of his work ethic, uh, his build and the way that he's not afraid of contact. Like he just got that dog mentality in him as well. You know, we say he's got that dog in him. He does. He literally does. He's looking for contact. He's looking for uh, you know, option. He's looking to touch the ball. He's looking for volume is what he's after. So uh, I'm not saying that, you know, be aware of Clayton, you know, within week one or two, but I'm saying like, I don't know if Clayton's job is completely safe and we shouldn't just go off the Tajay Spears yeah. year before just to automatically assume. I know we kind of have to project in CFF, especially when it comes to like a ranking or if we're just trying to draft and things like that. That makes a lot of sense. But in DFS, that's thrown out the window. We're looking at opportunity and we're looking at a guy that can bust a game of wide open. And that would be Arnold Barnes for sure. Kind of like we were talking about, like, you know, Michael Pratt, if he's on a showdown, he's playing his other team and it's just a showdown. Pratt's going to probably be one of the highest expensive ones that you have to pretty much put into the lineup. So with Arnold Barnes being an option at three thousand dollars, maybe forty five hundred down the road, if he busts off a few games or whatever, he's another good pairing because then you have the run. Michael Pratt kind of has some I think he's NFL caliber as well. He kind of shows out quite a bit. I'm not going to be as bold as some people I've heard that says like. QB three or QB four in, in, in a Debbie class or something crazy yeah. like that. I'm not a Debbie guy, um, but you know, Pratt's got some, he's got some moves and he's got an arm on him. So I think this would be a great pairing. Um, and I honestly, like I, I'm not too aware with two lanes, wide receiver core and things like that as well. You're probably a little bit more in depth than I am, but this is a good opportunity once again, where we're looking at production at RB two or an RB three versus trying to figure out wide receiver, two or three possibly in, in, a, in a showdown. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned the wide receivers too because, you know, Tulane is 
last season they were like historically flat in their means of distribution. Um, They like their wide receiver one and their wide receiver four were separated by like five percentage points in target share. Like it was crazy. Um, And so being able to pin down who is going to get the volume in this two lane offense has never been easy. I do really like Jaquan Jackson this year. I know that's that's yeah. not here or there in, in regards to Arnold Barnes, but you know Jackson, I think, is going to, to be a little bit more of an alpha than they've had in the past. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're if you're not a hundred percent sure on you know what kind of distribution share they're going to have in the passing game, um, but you're pretty confident that you're going to get a guy who gets you know thirty percent of the the carries, thirty five percent of the carries. Um, and his minimum price, he's worth a shot for sure. Yeah, so people pay attention. Arnold Barnes, I already snagged him to see if I have Dynasty. I'm kind of anticipating the uh, the breakout and the takeover. You don't have to be as bold as me. Um, you can put him on a watch list. Or if you do have the spot, if you're talking regular CFF, go ahead and pick him up. But for DFS, he's a name that's going to not be picked up a lot. Like I said, it's going one is G5, two is a showdown, and then three, it's like unless you did your research and understand – camp news and stuff like that that puts guys like us and people that listen to this show or play dfs and that are looking for content that's where this is going to pay you dividends to understand you know this these type of names to kind of help you in a showdown because it will separate you and put you to the top where the money's at for sure so i gave you you know guys that you really liked so we talked about two guys that we didn't talk about yet on the podcast and two of the big fish small pond but my last guy was a big fish small pond well I guess he's not because he's he's P five. You know what I'm saying? Like technically, at least for now. Um, but it's a small I, pond. <laughs> it, it is, but at the same time, like there's a lot of hype, and that's the that's the team tiger. That's Tiger Bachmeyer on through consistency, eighty eight point three 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 star prospect, heading over to Stanford. Um, raving reviews in camp so far. He has now shed the ore, the dreaded ore. Which um, when you hear this podcast next week, it'll be way past when you guys hear it, but. Um, Adam Schefter today said that uh, he doesn't he's never seen an or on a roster before. And Nathan was quick to tell him the uh, you know, how how good they have it at the NFL level, because oh, it's absolutely. true. Because check your privilege, Schefter. Yeah, check your privilege, Schefter. We see it all the time. <laughs> but guess who hasn't had an or in his name recently? That's the uh, the nice long locks of Tiger Bachmeyer, Mr. 24 there as well. But you have him as a fade. I think I have an idea why, um, especially with the new coach and the system that they're putting in, definitely leans on a certain part of the football versus that one. But, you know, a lot of Tiger, I mean, I'm team Tiger. I, I like it. I think there's a breakout possibly coming, but we don't know yet. But uh, it sounds like you're probably more intrigued by maybe the run game, possibly. What is it about Bachmeyer that you're kind of fading as far as using him for DFS purposes this year? Yeah. So, I mean, I – uh, there's nothing that I don't like about his game uh, as a receiver. You know, I think that he uh, has the ability and I think that he can definitely be um, a contributor on a bad offense that is Stanford. Um, but the thing that has me the most worried is just that they're on a bad offense. Um, the thing that, that he does have going for, and, you know, DraftKings, you touched on it earlier, DraftKings is PPR. Um, so he right. could easily see huge volume if they're playing from behind and just funneling him the ball. He could end up, you know, 11, 12 tar- or 11 or 12 targets, uh, you know, 9, 10 receptions on a game. And that automatically elevates him to a decent status. Um, but my assumption is that he, since he, he doesn't have that or on the depth chart, 
and he does have a, a spot kind of secured moving into the fall, he's not going to be a guy who we're going to see at minimum price um, very often. Uh, we That's may see him, you know, floating around a, a you know, kind of close to medium uh, to, to minimum price, but he'll 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 be bumped up a little bit. And um, knowing that the opportunity isn't necessarily going to be there for him, um, apart from very unique circumstances and showdown slates, I don't think that he's a guy who I would have any interest in. He is a name, and and a lot of times, like you said earlier as long as you know a name and you see him at a, a, a decent enough price you're interested and, and and that's a fair point um and i i, I mean who who's not going to recognize tiger tiger but uh he, the last name too man yep a lot of pedigree exactly, there. yeah but he's he's in an offense that i don't think is going to be particularly efficient um i don't think justin lampson is projected to be the, the starter there if lampson does get that job I'm I'm a little bit more in on the Stanford offense. That would be general. too. Yeah. Um, but I think Ari Patu is the guy who they're they're leaning towards. At least that's that's the last I saw. Um, so we'll we'll see. We'll kind of play it by ear with Stanford. But you know, I think that that in general they're going to want to, um, at least until they get the new offensive system installed fully. I think they're going to want to slow down the game. They're going to want to try and limit possessions for the opposing offenses because I don't think this defense is going to be particularly stout against their competition. Um, and they're going to want to try and shorten the game and really focus on you know, getting small victories and getting first downs and staying on the field. That's not something that we're interested in. We want high team totals when we look at, at uh, daily fantasy options. And I don't think Stanford is going to have high offensive team totals very frequently. Yeah. And, you know, the new coach comes over for Sacramento State FCS, but, you know, him and the running back coach, very much known for the running style. Um, Sacramento State ran people into the ground in the FCS last year and, and did a great job with it. So, and, you know, my personal theory is that they're going to try to highlight EJ Smith, of course, the son of Emmett Smith. Um, if he has, yeah. you know, with all his injuries, if he has any NFL capital left, like he has to, you know, bank on, you know, putting up some, at least some production to make him look like he's NFL ready. Right. Um, you know, a little different yeah. than the McCaffrey of old and, you know, you know, Stanford running backs. And we even had a uh, Caleb Hampton, who's the freshman that's heading there now. And the big focus from what he was telling us, even in off the screen is that the running game is going to be like highlighted fairly frequently to begin with. Um, but I agree. Uh, Tiger Bachmacher, I, I didn't realize it until you said it. But, yeah, if, like, he's an actual starter and DraftKings gets wind of that, like, he's going to be, like, 5,000, 6,500. 6, and there's just going to be other options, especially in a bigger slate where you're, like, you know, if I can get Luther Burden at, like, I don't know, like, 6,005 or six eight or something like that, I'd spend a couple hundred bucks to go get Burden versus Bachmacher type situation. There's yeah. always the pivot. So you always, like, in your head in DFS is, like, you know, can I take the lower percentage, but is it either going to pay off? Like, can he like get 20 receptions to make up for the fact that the yardage might not be there? You know, things like that in particular. Yeah. So yeah. I could start seeing your, your, your thinking and stuff like that for sure as well. Um, but you know, for CFF purposes, I mean, he's, he's quite this still, I think in the last dynasty, what was it? Two months ago, he went 16th round. And now I hear he's going fairly higher as far as like, few, um, freshman and supplemental so season long and yeah. uh and you know in dynasty he's definitely worth the pickup but definitely see a difference there in dfs and stuff like that any other thoughts on bachmeyer as far as why you're fading him or is that the the main purpose there yeah i, I mean i think we touched on everything there he's he's a guy who i'll i'll definitely be paying attention to and and you know if he does 
show that flash. Um, you know, Stanford needs guys who who show anything like that, uh, especially when they show it so early in their career. Um, but he's a guy who I'll, I'll likely be more in on in, in future years and once they can show that they have a more established system in place. Yeah, I, I forget which uh, quarterback Fro Thomas talking about, but he's coming up in this cycle. But apparently the lean is him going to Stanford, and he's really highly rated. So if he somehow lands there and they can get a solid quarterback, I think that's where Bachmeyer's stop will probably move up. So we're probably not going to look at that until 2024. But, hey, at least you know the name. If you want to take the stab at him, maybe take the stab at him, you know. Hey, shoot, man. He might be uh, be tearing up the ACC in a few years if those uh, – I was going to say – we might have a West Coast version of uh, the ACC from some earlier talks. As soon as you hear this episode, that might have changed by now. But, uh, you know, there are some yeah, talks right. about it's maybe uh, taking the last three there, the Pac-12, the Pac-4, whatever it's called now, and merging it in with the ACC. So now everyone will have at least, like, what, 16 teams plus. So now we have, like, a uh, a, a P3 now versus a P4. So, you know. Yeah, are you ready three. to stay up until 1 a.m. to watch your uh, watch your Tar Heels when they're on that West Coast? Yes, the Tar Heels, yes, but if there's any time not, then <laughs> most likely no. Um, if Stanford's playing NC State, yeah. uh, no offense to my NC State buddies, but I will not be watching that game. I will just set it in DFS, <laughs> go to bed, and then hope that I hit money when I wake up in the morning time and get a good fist pump yeah, while man. I'm, you know, heading towards the showers. So, you know, that, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to do, man. But, yeah. Um, but that's the guys that we wanted to highlight. You know, we want to give you four guys that we think would really shine in the DFS purposes and stuff of that. And one that maybe you should fade for now as a freshman until maybe in the next season where there's established quarterback, maybe some, you know, more balance between the, the running game and the passing game as well. But Ethan, is there anything in DFS that you kind of wanted to, or just some quick tips that you learned in this past season? Because, you know, we've had a whole season now, like we went through, you know, what we did in the preseason as far as getting ready and, you know, did our DFS and stuff like that. But what's something that maybe you've learned or any tips that you have as far as whether it's freshmen or just regular players in DFS that you kind of want to share? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, there there's so many things that, that could be said about, you know, tips for DFS and every, everybody's got their own philosophy and their own way to, to, you know, what's their optimal build and things like that. I think something that i'm i'm learning more and more the the more years that i'm i'm in college dfs first of all the public is getting sharper like the yeah, the public hard. is in on on more and more of the uh the smart plays um and with that you know i think that that's largely due to the fact that there's just more content coming out about it you know we're seeing more and more optimizers being built for college fantasy football um, we're seeing more of the elite football content providers providing college fantasy and college DFS content and articles and podcasts, discords, all of that. Right. That being said, there is a huge edge on knowing the guys that are being touted and knowing the guys that are being bolstered by these these top content creators and knowing where ownership is going to lie. Um, I think that a lot of times we get so caught up in playing the player that has the best value, the the cheapest dollar per fantasy point, uh, you know, outcome that we really forget, especially in a game that is so high scoring, like college fantasy football and college DFS, that raw points and raw production is just as important as being able to find those value plays. 
Um, you want to find the value plays that help give you some competition. You give you an edge over the competition and elevate you because they're they're at a lower ownership and they go off. Um, but just as important is knowing what positions and what names you trust that are higher priced, um, and and who those guys you can play with confidence even at a high price because you know they're going to get you, you know that big, you know 30, 40 point outing that can help carry your lineups. Um, and so it's just something to be cognizant of. Um, I think that a lot of my time early on playing DFS was all about trying to find the minimum salary guy who is going to go off. And that's part of what we're doing here because first of all, that's fun to be able to go and dig through the weeds and find, you know, your diamond in the rough, uh, your, your big fish in the small pond that's going to go off. Um, but just, just as important and, and necessary to keep in your mind is, you know, who are the, who are the consistent guys that I can play with confidence on a weekly basis? Knowing depth is still important. Like I, I get, you know, like you want to know matchups are important is what I'm getting at is that knowing the matchup, knowing who their opponent is playing, is there a certain thing you can expose? Like, is there something more in depth that you know that maybe the guys that are throwing a lot of exposure on one player? Maybe you realize like, okay, this cornerback on this defense is out this game. Maybe you've heard that, or maybe you, you just know there's an edge somewhere else that you can pivot and maybe by knowing the wide receiver two, knowing the wide receiver three, or knowing who the mismatch is in that scenario will play a big part. And also knowing your depth chart. So that's where like guys like Nick and CFB winning edge and stuff like that is so, so important because there's always that last minute one is like all of a sudden they're like in warm ups and all of a sudden you get like the little blurb from the guy that's like, oh, so and so running back's not sitting because I don't know he's got the flu or something random like that. That we're just like, and everyone else is just panicking where, you know. Last year was like a uh, did a random showdown for Virginia Tech. I know it's really yucky. Sorry, Kay. Um, but you know I was doing Virginia Tech and people were freaking out where I knew who Keyshawn King was, so I was able to play King, drop thirty something fantasy yep. points, got the money. You know what I'm saying? And you know ran you know ran into Saturday with a better you know uh, bank and a better you know bank and ready to rock and roll for Saturday slates and stuff like that. So it's like yeah. it's things like that. You just got to know how to pivot and you got to know how to set yourself apart from the general public, which like you said is getting harder and harder. But like you said, paying attention to who they're touting versus what you may know that might be different than what everyone else is saying, basically. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, a great example of, you know, the things that we care about that, you know, not everybody is going to dial in on quite as quickly. Two years ago, Missouri's, off, or Missouri's defense was the like most susceptible to explosive plays like they were oh like 131 yeah and so picking on those defenses picking on the trends that you can pick up um their defense wasn't like towards the bottom and like to overall yardage allowed or anything like that but when it came to big plays they were just they were leaky and they were susceptible to that yep. um so being able to uh know the right questions to ask and know the right things to look for um, knowing what metrics line up with what different tendencies, like knowing that a, a defense with a high stuff rate, you might want to pivot to play the receiving back on the opposing team as opposed to the power back. Um, things like that that really end up paying dividends down the, down the line um, are all things that are important moving forward. And also to add to that, Use common sense. Like if they're playing Georgia or Iowa, don't don't play them. Like, you know what I'm saying? Just don't. That's like NFL 
capable defenses where these guys are just a factory for the NFL. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles, a.k.a. the Philadelphia Bulldogs, and the way that they have just a whole defensive line of Georgia Bulldogs. Like, just just remember those type of scenarios. And it's not hard to find. Like, we're, you know, we're not telling you anything that you can't find. Like, NCAA.com, you just, you know, hit the football section. You can see the ranking and defense and stuff like that from one all the way to 133. So you can kind of find, you also can move around in the columns and say, all right, who's the worst at rushing? Who's the worst at passing? And then you can pick on that scenario, kind of like what Ethan's talking about. When we realized that Missouri was leaking running back, you know, defensive stops and stuff like that. So we would just play the running back against Missouri and people would smash off for 20 something fantasy points. So it's like, those are the things just using common sense and just, easy to use resources that are always available use those don't forget it's not all about the optimizer it's not all about you know the plays and things like that sometimes it's just using common sense um ethan i know you're going to be a busy bee um just like i was telling the last episode that uh, the bet on c2c branding is still going to be around we're going to be highlighting things like slates showdowns but you're going to be doing some articles still this year tell the people what they can expect from you this year as the season um starts to happen here for 2023 and 2024 yeah, so I am uh, planning on keeping some written content up on uh, Campus of Canton. Uh, as of right now, plan is to be covering some of the weekday slates um, with some slate breakdowns on, you know, our, our Maction and Sunbelt games that happen midweek, uh, as well as um, kind of running back those prize pick articles that we had last year, uh, as well as an article outlining what games to target and teams to target for stacking. Uh, in DFS contests, so what what quarterbacks do we want to pair with their their receiving options, and hopefully double up on some uh, some fantasy points this season. So um, I'll be be pumping all of those out, and, and likely some uh, some other multimedia things that uh, that the C two C DFS team wants to wants to crank out this year. Absolutely, we'll be busy regardless of it's DFS or during the season. You're going to have something that you can have on as well. We got to love the stack attack. One of my favorites. Um, stacking up points and doing showdowns, uh, stacking a slate, just being different. One of my favorite parts about DFS. Um, but the bet on C2C branding, uh, as far as the DFS team and stuff like that, will be very active. And I'm sure Alfred will probably have his weekly uh, sign up as well, where you guys can play against us and hopefully win some home field swag. Possibly now with the discount code, you might be able to do the gift card and the in the code. So you might you know double up on that action as well. So you'll be good to play against me and Ethan, Kay, all of us uh, there, the DFS team. And whoever else in the CFF world that wants to play against us will be there as well. Of course, I'm Brandon Sanders. You can find me at Twitter and X, whatever you want to call it, at CFF University, basically. Um, you might be seeing, you'll still see me with the uh, the DFS stuff, but you also will probably see me on the NFL side. So stay tuned for that. Um, that'll happen during the season. But like I said, this is the end of season two. So, Ethan, it was great to have you on, buddy, and uh, finishing up this wonderful season that we had. If somehow we get any interviews, which now it's fall, I doubt that we are. But in the case that we get to maybe some of the 2024 class, you might still see this on the Future Freshman Podcast. If it doesn't happen, then you'll definitely see us, uh, you know, as the season wraps up for 2023 there in 2024. We'll be back with season three. But thank you all for listening this season, and we'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>